0: Hey, greetings all. Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Hope podcast. It is October. love October. The weather is just fabulous. However, because it's October, apparently it's time to start thinking about Christmas. I noticed that the Hallmark March Towards Christmas, a million Christmas movies thing, which frankly, let me be honest, I love that, starts in October. So, yeah. Merry Christmas, I guess. Uh, Anyway, it is really good to be back uh, with you and to continue on in our study. Hey, so uh, last time we started walking through this uh, really good Bible study Justine and I have been working through. Last time we talked about God as creator and what the story of creation tells us about the world and how we interact with it. And this time I want to take a look at Genesis chapter 3 and another important element to this story, and that is the fall. I think a lot of people know most of what they know about how Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden and the chronology of how all that happened from our old friend John Milton and his book Paradise Lost. But we're going we're gonna to try to answer the questions this week thinking just about the texts that we have, just the biblical text, and talk about what Genesis 3 teaches us about who we are and who God is. So, first thing the study asks is what the serpent says in Genesis 3, one. And how it's different than what God said, right? So if you're not familiar with Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're doing their thing. The serpent, who is described as more crafty than any other wild animal, comes up, says to Eve, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Which, of course, is not what God said, right? God gave a very specific instruction about what they could do and what they could not do. He says to Adam, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So here's the serpent being crafty. Here's the serpent sort of twisting what God says, right? And I think that's sort of a important element in understanding our enemy. The idea of distorted truth. Dr. Richard Mao wrote a book, in fact, called "A Distorted Truth, in which he discusses Satan's ploy instead of outright lying He often lies by distorting the truth, by taking something true and twisting it a little bit. So there's still an element of the truth that we can hear in it, and it makes it a little bit more believable, makes us a little bit more likely to fall for it. And that's what he does here. He walks in and says, did did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So it puts Eve immediately back on her heels, and she has to defend God, right? And so second question we're asked is, in Eve's response to the serpent, how does what she says differ from what God said? So what does Eve say? She says, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. Right? So right away we see she's got the instruction a little bit skewed In Genesis 2 doesn't say anything about whether or not they touch the fruit. It just says don't eat it. So she adds a little touch here, a little tidbit here. Makes you wonder why. Makes you wonder You know, was she thinking that God's command is harsh? Was she already set up for Satan to trick her in the way he was about to do that? It's curious, isn't it? So question number three, it says sin goes beyond just breaking a rule or disobeying God. And it refers to a line in a book that talks about de-godding God, right? And I think the whole idea here is what the serpent tries to convince Adam and Eve to do is to become God themselves, right? And we see that play out in Genesis 3. I think that's what question three is asking us. The entire sales pitch of the serpent is, no, 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 no. You won't die, right? Verse five, he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so he tempts them with this idea of becoming like God or becoming God yourself or not having to answer to anyone else, but being able to fully answer to yourself because you will be like God, a God, your own God. It's a little bit tempting, right? Now, all of this falls into the heading of Genesis 1, right? And we talked about this a little bit in the last episode is we have a little bit of responsibility in the creator order, right? God gave us stuff and said, watch my stuff, take care of my stuff. He gave us dominion in other words, right? Go back all the way to Genesis 1, verse 28. It says, God blessed them, Adam and Eve. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth, right? Dominion. So the question of dominion comes up in this passage, where Adam and Eve tried to extend their dominion beyond that which God gave them, to have power over more things, right? And I think dominion is an important issue for us to think about, too, as we talked about last time. You know, we do have a responsibility to take care of God's stuff. We have been given dominion. We are ruling over creation to a certain degree. But there's a proper and improper dominion. There's a good and bad dominion. There's a way to manage creation with our eyes focused on God and with the understanding that it all belongs to him. And then there's the greedy way to exploit creation. That kind of dominion is improper dominion. And I think that kind of dominion is is a little bit at the heart of what Adam and Eve are tempted with becoming God themselves means they will have full dominion over everything, and they can decide what's right or wrong. Right. All right. Now, question five is a little tricky. It asks about Genesis three seven and Genesis two twenty five, and how do they relate to one another? Right. And so, in order to answer that question, you should probably go back and read those verses. So, Genesis two twenty five says right at the end of chapter two it says, "And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed." It's a very simple statement. Flip over to Genesis 3, read verse 7. This is after they've eaten of the fruit. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Right. So obviously in, chap- in chapter 3, verse 7, the idea of recognizing their nakedness is accompanied by a fact that they don't think that's great. There's a little bit of embarrassment enough so that they want to cover up their nakedness, right which there's no indication of in chapter two and you know for me, this goes back to the knowledge that they acquired and one of the things that that I've been dealing with is is I have a really good Old Testament translation called the First Testament, and it's really tried to maintain a lot of the the Hebrew feel as it translates it into into English, so a lot of the words are left in their in their Hebrew context. Um, and in this passage, the tree is referred to as the good and bad knowledge tree. So there's good knowledge and bad knowledge. There's knowledge that's not good for us. There's things that, once you know them, are not good. Knowing sin, knowing shame, knowing what it means to be ashamed, right? And so I think having eaten from the tree, they've acquired this good and bad knowledge right? And it's changed their perspective on the world and how they relate to the world. They're very self-conscious now, very conscious of themselves and how they fit into things, where before they're mostly focused on God and what God had created and what God had asked them to do. And so acquiring this knowledge by eating from a tree from which they were commanded not to eat has given them this bad knowledge and the self-consciousness that they demonstrate in verse seven. All right, question six is, how does God respond to the man and woman's rebellion? Now, it's, it's, it's easy to see how upset God is. He questions them. They defend themselves. I think it's particularly interesting the way they defend themselves. Adam doesn't just blame Eve. I <laughs> think it's fabulous what he says. He says, the woman you gave me, she was the one who did it. And in a sense, he's even blaming God. You hadn't put her here, everything would still be okay, right? <laughs> it's hilarious. But then there's curses. God curses just about everything. In fact, in the next question, we're able to go through and and look at the curses that are um, doled out through verses 14 to 19. The serpent is cursed pretty significantly. Um, is because you have done this. Cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put in between Between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And we do, we do, I mean, look, nobody likes snakes. The people who like snakes, were all a little creeped out by snakes, right? And I live in a place where we could have rattlesnakes just crawling across the yard at any moment. I have animals that need to be protected from those snakes. And, you know, I'll most definitely uh, uh, strike the head of a snake when I see one, so to speak. So so this seems like a pretty serious curse. To the woman, he says, "I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing; in pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you." It's almost like we see the the roots of of the improper way in which women have been relegated to second class citizens. Almost like that's part of the curse the the wrong way that that men have dominated women in different cultures over the centuries. Um, we see that as a pretty significant curse, yeah. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So we see Adam, you know, really cursed with toil. Work, which is a good thing, has turned to toil and struggle. And we see that not only is Adam cursed, but the earth was cursed as well, right? And so we go back to question six and say, you know, how does God respond? And it's easy for us to say, wow, wow, he's mad. He's really mad and there's curses. And think about it though. He gave him one rule, don't eat the tree. So what would be the appropriate punishment for such a thing? I find it remarkable in so many places in scripture that God does not simply destroy those who have disobeyed him. There are moments where God's, response is harsh. Um, when when someone has trifled with his holiness, right? his response to that can be harsh. But there's so many times when we see a lack of destruction. You can even look at the flood that way, right? Um, not just as destruction, but as rescue, right? God rescues his creation. He takes an extreme measure, but goes out of his way to make sure that his creation is rescued through that. The exile, when the children of Israel are sent off in slavery to Babylon could have just destroyed them outright but he did a work of preserving them and it seems that this punishment was entirely intended to turn them back towards him right and so so what we see here we see yes there's punishment but not destruction right and we see god make garments for them to cover them we see god you know still caring for them and knowing that the story's not over there is not destruction, right? So I think it's interesting that that in the midst of punishment here, we also see God's incredible mercy, right? We see his grace. And I think that's that's the heart of question number eight, right? This is the evidence of God's grace, that he casts them out of the garden. They're going to have to work, but he's taken this first step of showing us how he will continue to care for us all, for humanity, Um. We've, we've lost something. But God is still God, and God is still merciful, and God still loves us. And in his punishment, he preserves us. And I think that's just a fabulous way to understand the punishment and the curses that are doled out here. So one of the points of the whole study here is is to think about the story of God, right? The story of the universe. And we talked last episode about the word worldview and how we all have a worldview. We all have this way of you know, understanding the universe and how the universe works. And there are lots of stories, there are lots of worldviews that, that we can pull from. There are lots of strange ways of thinking, a lot lots of self-centric ways of thinking. A lot of people out there that think there's no God, and that life is just about us doing what makes us happy. There are a lot of people out there that think there is a God, and His job is to make us happy, so you're very upset when something bad happens. We're trying to understand a biblical worldview, right? In other words, how does the story of the Bible inform us about the universe and about who God is, about who we are, about how we relate to God and to the universe? And so it's it's interesting. There's a series of questions here now to reflect on that story. and And, and we're only three chapters into the Bible here, but there's a lot that we've learned about God and about ourselves, right? We could ask the question, who am I in context of understanding our worldview and understanding God's story of the universe and the, the biblical worldview. Who who am I, right? And it's not complete to say I'm God's perfect creation, and it's not accurate to say I'm just a sin-damaged, you know, thing. Um, we have been created good, and God has bestowed his divine image on it, and yet our sin has allowed, you know, some corruption to take place right we've been damaged by sin we are not purely the way we were created to be because of sin and so that's that's a truth about us now as jesus enters the story you know and we'll see that later in the study he does a work of recreation of trying to put us back into the state we were in before we were not separated from god by our sin right but but there has been damage done and living in this world this world that has been cursed you know we have to understand that human beings have been damaged you know a lot of times we wonder why god allows bad things to happen in this world and sometimes it's sin damaged people doing sinful things out there to each other that causes this All right god takes a beating because hmm, none of that should happen right well the world's been broken so those things do happen so be too hard on yourself don't also don't forget the damage of sin right Another question, what am I here for? right? The damage that's been done in chapter 3 you know, has put some separation between us and God, but God has gone out of his way to show us that the story's not over and that he's not just abandoning us. And so we go back to the original story and this idea of communion with God, this idea of walking with God that comes up in different places. You know, look at Genesis 5 and And the story of Enoch and this idea of having communion with God. You know, if we put the biblical story up against some of the ancient creation epics from the ancient Near East, a lot of times what you see is human beings being created by the gods to be their slaves or their servants or some other weird purpose. But in the biblical story, you know, we were created to be his children, to be in relationship, in communion with God. Um, And that's how he rolls. And that's what I'm here for, right? We've been given tasks we need to do our work, we need to take care of God's created world, and we need to be in communion with God. So we understand that that having been the original plan, that there, <laughs> there was a little damage. Third question is what went wrong? Well, our disobedience, our rebellion, let sin into the world, right? And as Paul tells us, sin brings death with it. And so the world's been broken. We were sin damaged. And all of that, has been addressed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? That is the solution to that problem. And God had that plan, that solution in mind, even before he laid the foundation of the earth. Paul tells us that in Ephesians. And so I think about, as we go forward, as we continue in this study, think about who God is and who we are in relation to him as we start to understand the relationship that God wants with each one of us. And we're going to keep building on that in the episodes to come. But it's wonderful to think about God that's creator. And even though we've messed up a little bit, he still loves us and is still working out his story with us. Not in spite of us, not without us, but with us, right? To overcome the damage and the sin. I think that's just God's grace on display all the time. All right. That's it for today. I'm going to pray for us. So again, wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, keep your eyes on it. If you're driving, watch the road. Don't close your eyes if you're driving. And just let your hearts pray with me now. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your story, the true story of the universe and how the universe works. Lord, we thank you so much that that when we sin, you seek to draw us back to you, to turn our eyes back to you. There isn't immediate destruction for us. And that punishment, when you do punishment, it's not punishment for punishment's sake. It's punishment to turn us back to you because you love us so much. It's hard, Lord, to understand sometimes how you can love us the way you do when sometimes we're just despicable. But Lord, you are awesome. And we say thank you and we love you back. Uh, Be with us, Lord, um, and help us to reflect daily on this story and what it tells us about who you are and how much you love us pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. It was good to be with you all again. We will see you in the next episode. And until then, peace.